0: So, welcome everybody back to yet another episode of the SAFT podcast, alright, and uh, we uh, we were
1: talking about what um, the last episode, Jacob? Yeah, so in the last episode we were talking about um, the objections to premise one, we were looking mm-hmm. more about the premise one, right, and what is the premise one? Premise one is uh, everything that begins to exist
0: has a cause. Yes. I'm just getting used
1: to it now. It's part of the habit. Like, yeah, like yeah. Right now, I could wake you up in the middle of the night and I can ask Stephen, <laughs> what is premise one?
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. I'll be able to answer right then and there. I won't even ask why he woke me up. I'll just answer it and go back
1: to sleep. <laughs> it, it's, it's like when our teachers tell us, right, when we learn the quadratic equation A plus B the whole square, mm-hmm. they tell us, you should learn this so much that if I wake you up in the middle of the night, you should be able to answer. Exactly. Exactly. So um, now it is. Yeah, but thankfully, I think this is more useful than the quadratic equation.
0: Yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> all the mathematicians over there are fuming right like, now. <laughs>
1: um, yeah. So in the in the last episode, we were looking at whether philosophers could oppose to whether they could uh, reject this very basic understanding of what we know about reality, right. right? That things that come into existence should have a cause, and we were looking at. Uh, renowned philosopher J.L. Mackey's mm. objection, and his idea was that you know uh, he could conceive or imagine in his mind something coming into existence out of nothing, like right. something just popping into existence, like we would see in a in a in a uh, cartoon or a magic show. Yeah, exactly. And he said that okay, I can imagine something of that sort happening right now in front of me, mm. so therefore that should be possible to happen. Right. And we and we discuss about how that is quite absurd. Yeah. And uh, in fact, he. He quotes David Hume mm. to sort of build up his case, and then we looked at um, Hume—a quote from Hume himself, mm. right—a miracle denying uh, empiricist atheist thinker. David Hume himself saying, "No, I do not. I would not claim something as absurd as that things can come into existence out of nothing." His point was that I think that we know things can come with a cause because of these other reasons. And uh, I think when we were talking about the you men, you were mentioning about Russell's teapot. Yeah, yeah. The flying Russell's uh,
0: teapot analogy. Uh, the I, I think for those of uh, you who are uh, listening in or viewing the video at home, you might have gotten kind of confused with the way that I was posing it because yeah. it, it ended up becoming kind of like a loose thread that we just yeah. ended up just not uh, mm-hmm. talking about it. So behind uh, um, the camera, we we kind of yeah. like discussed and. Uh, with my right frame of mind, I yeah. kind of like rephrase the uh, the argument, and I think it's starting to make more sense. Yeah, yeah, it actually time. did. Yeah. So you yeah. want
1: to you want to list that out for the audience?
0: Yeah, sure. So essentially, what we want to understand is what is the teapot analogy? Essentially, what is it trying to argue, mm-hmm. right? So uh, essentially, uh, what what is it exactly?
1: Yeah. So the Russell's teapot. Uh, what that is meant to say is that Burton Russell put that out saying that. Um, there is this very minuscule teapot out there orbiting between t- some planet, I think Jupiter and Mars, I guess. And you can't see it with your telescope. Mm. It's really, really minuscule, yeah. um, minuscule, uh, minuscule, <laughs> it's really, really minuscule. And But it is out there. Right? You just can't yeah. see it, but it's out there. Mm. And a similar one was uh, the flying spaghetti, spaghetti monster, monster or the flying yeah. monster in the, in the garage, all that stuff. And uh, in that also, there is a dragon in your garage. Mm. It can't. You can't see it. You yeah. can't touch it. It flies above the ground, so you mm. can't detect its footprint. Yeah. It has cold blooded, so thermal imaging doesn't work. It beats fire, but it's cold fire, so you can't use thermal imaging there again. Right. But it exists. But it exists. And uh, all of these argue. All of these analogy. Like these are an arguments per se. They are mm. basically analogies that they very. I mean. They they quite brilliantly use these analogies to point out what they think is a flaw with theism. Yeah. And uh, and this is what Anthony Flew, a notorious atheist turned theist, mm. the turned deist, um, as in like, he doesn't believe there's yeah, a personal he, god. He know, believes that there's a, like a. There is a a, a power entity, a power source yeah. an entity right not not a personal yeah. he being. Essentially a watchmaker
0: something that just has created the universe. Yeah,
1: sort of like a, a force behind the universe. Yeah, Force behind the universe. Um. Whether it's personal or not, yeah. sort of neutral on that. So, Anthony Flew in his work, um, I think it, it was in the presumption of atheism. Uh, I may be wrong, but he mentioned about death by thousand qualification. Mm. It's so much so that you are adding so much of qualifiers to something that it's sort of died off, right? That like yeah. your qualifiers didn't do the job. And this is sort of similar thing they're trying to do with this analogy. Like, mm. you have uh, this, like this dragon in your garage, mm but it's invisible, you can't touch it, it yeah. flies off the ground. You're adding so much of qualifications to it, where they ask, okay, what is the difference between a dragon that you can't touch, see, sense, and no dragon in the garage? Yeah. So same thing they asked with the Russell's teapot also. What is the difference between this minuscule teapot flying in the space that you cannot detect or see, mm. and there being no teapot yeah. out there? Uh, so that is just what the that Russell's is what teapot... is. but yeah. uh,
0: essentially what was that, the, the teapot analogy, why did they use it? Yeah, against theism. So what? So, was
1: that? so the reason was to say that you are pr- talking about a god, mm. you know, whom you don't have any. Uh, Sensory, to, in that, you cannot. You yes, you don't have any empirical evidence for God, mm-hmm. right? And they were like, okay, you're talking about a god whom you experience, but hey, what is that supposed to mean? Yeah,
0: how is that so much different from this deep yeah. that I cannot yeah. see uh, or do anything about? Right, it? right. I said that it exists, and yeah, that essentially that argument is used to say that. It, you know, you can just say the same thing about a god that you cannot. Yeah, like, but then when you put, put it down with J.L. Mackey, what is he saying? He's saying uh, that anything that you can conceive just can, uh, can... Can be part of reality. Can be part of reality, which directly goes against this argument that they are trying to yes. say. Because that they are using that argument to completely say that you this you this particular thing is definitely not possible.
1: Yeah, as in, so so the, the connection that you made, and that's a very good connection. That's a yeah. very good observation. So the connection is that in the Russell depot and the the, the dragon in the garage analogies and examples, they're trying to say, you know, just because you can conceive something doesn't mm. mean that it's real. It's yeah. part of reality. And J.M. Mackie comes along and says, hey, you can conceive something and it could be part of reality. It could be possible. Uh yeah, that's actually, that, like I said, that's a very brilliant observation to make oh, about how, so they go, uh, <laughs> <laughs> how they go how uh, they go against each other. Mm. Um, but then, I don't know, it, it's the fact that JL Mackie is who came out and said that things can come into existence without a cause, right? Like you said, even, even David Hume thinks it's yeah. quite absurd. Yeah, no, so, but
0: even then, right, without a cause, but you thinking about it can also be a cause, right, for it in, in terms of even though it's just popping into existence, you have conceived it in your mind, which is the cause behind it coming into existence.
1: Or is that what he's talking about? Or anything
0: that is possible to conceive, that can happen.
1: So JL Mackey's point isn't that everything that begins to exist has no cause. Mm. That is not his point. Mm. His point is that you can't say that everything that begins to exist has a cause. Meaning, there could be things that begins to exist that has a cause, and there could be things that begin to exist that do that, not have a cause. Mm, so if it has a cause, great. If it doesn't have a cause, great. That's sort of a position. What we say is that everything, like every everything thing that begins, begins to, to so exist, even the thought it begins to exist, it has a cause. Yeah. Mackie's point is that no, you can't go around saying that. You, there could be things that begin to exist without a cause. Just like there are things that begin to exist with a cause. Mm. So that is where Mackie gets into the nuances. Right. But right, anyway, right. We have, We've got much more things to look into. Yeah,
0: yeah, true. That's true. So let's, get, uh, let's power on with that. right? Yeah. So, uh, did uh, philosophers uh, oppose to this premise? One. So, right now we did say that jm Yeah. He quoted Hume to kind of say that you know the, um, you can just conceive this and then it would exist. So, and we also discussed about uh, all of that. Yeah. So, now we keep on talking about Hume, Hume, David Hume. Now, who is this David Hume?
1: Yeah. So, in the, in the last episode, I mentioned this in in fleeting when I mentioned about. Uh, David Hume's objection. So and I will just clear this up because David Hume is a figure that is quite important in the field of philosophy and economics as well. Um, so he is he has contributed towards economics and this was the time when economics was seen as a moral philosophy. And Adam Smith, uh, the father of economics, wrote The Wealth of the Nations and as such. Uh, so David Hume's key contribution is um and he's most recognized for his outright objection against the possibility and even probability of miracles. Mm. so David Hume's key point was and maybe sometime down later when we're looking at miracles and possibly we look at David Hume and Spinoza and Newtonian mechanism and all of that, how they factor into um, miracles and uh, to just breeze on uh, David Hume's point is that you have so much of um, a priori right, prior to something you have so much of, you have so much of um, evidence around you that miracles cannot happen that even if you see a miracle sort of, you're a priori knowledge that you have prior to it would cancel out that happening mm. so in other words to put it very simply his point is that uh, the the improbability of a miracle happening is so high that no amount of evidence can overturn it
0: okay so You'll have uh, to yeah, break that down a little
1: yes bit, right? but the thing is if, if we get into that we'll be going off topics okay so uh, that is david humes again we will break it down much more clearly when we get to the miracles part of it but that was in essence david humes point in the mm-hmm. fact that uh, the probability of a miracle not happening is so high that no amount of evidence can overturn it. Now, it gets very philosophical in that sense. Um, right then we'll be wondering, okay, how does that... So David Hume has a whole list of case for right. it. Uh, but we'll look at that later. And uh, uh, as we stick with J.L. Mack, I want to touch upon this Windows point of whether J.L. Mack actually thought that premise one, everything that Beans Texas um, has whether a clause, whether, believed whether his whether own So I've, uh So in his work, Theism... In page 89, i just read out this quote to you. Mm. This is from J.L. Mackey. He says, still this causal principle, right? Mm. Causal principle as in cause and effect principle, what we're yeah. talking about in premise one. He says, still this causal principle has some plausibility in that it is constantly confirmed in our experience mm. and also used reasonably in interpreting our experience. So that is basically him showing his hands and saying, yeah, you know what, actually, I think this actually works. So we're saying that, the real world interaction, right? Our real world experience of what is happening in reality, um, of how things turn out in the outside world, they point us strongly towards the fact that everything that begins to exist has a cause. Mm. And he interestingly he said that this cause of principle has some plausibility. So in the previous episode, in two episodes back, we were talking about the difference between plausibility, possibility, and probability. We'll link it for you to take a look. Um in the sense that it is believable, it sounds reasonable. Like when you tell me that everything that begins to exist has a cause is that it comes off as reasonable, it comes off as there is merit to this thought, that there is logical grounding, a logically coherent framework within which this principle is operating. And that is what JL is essentially eventually saying. He's saying that, well, I think this is believable because it is confirmed in our experience, now daily point. And uh, when we interpret our experience, and that means if you step into a, a murder scene, right, there you're going to interpret the murder scene as a cause and effect mechanism. That is the effect, the cause, suicide, murder, theft, uh, robbery, whatever. There also you're interpreting your experience using the causal principle. Right. And like, like now when you said about an idea coming in your mind, even that experience, when you're breaking it down, there again you are deploying the causal principle. And uh, it is just an outright... Um, and causal principle meaning? The, the principle of that there is cause and effect relationship. Mm-hmm like cause brings about effect right. all of that and it's just jl mackey clearly coming out and saying yeah i think that that really is the case yeah yeah every
0: mm-hmm. effect must have a cause every effect must have a cause yeah yeah um, yeah okay so uh, before we look at mackey's objections uh, let's uh, i will uh, put in the or are you going to say yeah the, so the we
1: yeah so uh, mackey's objection is something that we'll look later mm. but Right now we'll see, and I want to cover this within this episode, mm-hmm. it's been go- dragging a bit, uh, we have look at what are the three different three arguments for okay. premise one, right. right? And when I quoted Mackey, Mackie's, and something that I just observed right now, that in that Ma- JL Mackey's outright exclamation of that uh, the causal person uh, effect is active, um, actually point towards these three arguments that I'm going to list out right now. So uh, the first argument is that we know by metaphysical intuition that something cannot come from nothing. Now, what do we mean by metaphysical intuition? Yeah. A lot of we people can, might be asking that. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, we say things that we know intuitively. Mm. As in, now this could, we are not talking about something as in a, a mother knowing that the child is about to cry mm. or a mother knowing that the child is upset. Okay? We would say, okay, you know that intuitively. It's an mm. instinct sort of thing. Yeah. What we mean by metaphysical intuition is, and this intuition we carry with us every day, mm. right? And I will sort of hint at what we mean by that. Right. Um, also,
0: the, yeah, the difference between physical and metaphysical.
1: Yeah, that is actually quite complex
0: one to break down. Right, because people might be wondering.
1: Yeah, so right now right method. now, when I break down what I mean by metaphysical intuition, you will get that. Right. Some philosophers, are, it is somewhat broad and very loosely defined as, mm. that is, metaphysics. like right. beyond I would physics. think
0: about it in the sense that, you know, the reason for the physics or the kind of the yeah. underlying... Uh, principles yeah. behind what yeah so when I give this example you will see,
1: you will get to understand what metaphysics is without me defining metaphysics oh. so a metaphysical yes. intuition is that something like the law of non-contradiction okay right yeah. we haven't tested out the law of non-contradiction on a regular basis in our life mm. but when I tell you things that at the surface level look contradictory to you you instantly realize that it is non-contradictory it is contradictory mm. and you instantly realize that it cannot be part of reality yes now, it cannot did, be true it cannot be true Now, did you realize that by actually experimenting it out? No, you didn't. Like when I say a square circle,
0: Mm.
1: it is not, I have never tried to draw a square circle on a piece of paper. I have never done that. But I know that it is impossible. That is a way of metaphysical intuition. The law of us identifying the law of non-contradiction and realizing what is contradictory Mm. and how contradictions cannot be part of reality. When we haven't tested and experiment every form of contradiction out there is an example of metaphysical intuition. Right, So there you get the sea of metaphysical. Yeah. Yeah, the lo- like you said, the law of these things undergird and run through the physical reality. And, and, and when we say that something can come from nothing, uncaused, all of that, it Im- instinctively rings in our head that I don't think that that can work, right? Just in the same way when I say a contradictory statement, you would think in your mind, no, I don't think that's possible. Again, you haven't physically, experientially tested it out with an experiment. You haven't conducted a lab experiment but just as you heard two contradictory statements that you realize that can't be part of reality when you have not tested it out right. similarly each and every one of us when we hear that something can come from nothing by this metaphysical intuition we know that it's wrong we know that it's wrong so that is the first argument that we all hold on to yeah. and, and we, even like when you look
0: at a murder scene you know yeah, that there is a, just going back to your previous point that yeah, there, there has is a, to be a killer or yeah. something that led to this person that person mm. couldn't
1: have been dead
0: just because yeah. couldn't have a stab wound.
1: Just yeah, and and we would see that when we are looking into let's say the, the recent photography that we got from the James Webb yeah. Telescope, magnificent photography of of God's handiwork in creation. Yeah. That's when when we look at it and we see at the galaxies, right? We're talking about galaxies that maybe we haven't identified so far yet. Yeah. But we 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 try to explore those galaxies under the assumption that. The laws of non-contradiction overrule our mathematical understanding, mm. right? That the cause and effect principles are operating behind, even in those galaxies, right? It is something that we know that undergirds all of reality. It is sort of like our uh, most one of our most basic belief, right? A very fundamental assumption that we hold to interpret as Mac said, to interpret our experience. So this understand this metaphysical intuition that we hold, we hold is the argument number one. Now, argument number two is that. Um, if you say that something can come from nothing, then why doesn't everything come from nothing? Or why yeah. doesn't anything come from nothing, right? And uh, this actually connected to what you said early on um, in when you said, uh, maybe nothing has the property of nothing. Yeah. Right. So when we were talking about, now we addressed that is quite an absurd thing to say nothing, yeah. having a property of nothing. So we addressed, we touched on uh, very briefly there, what, what we mean by nothing. Now I don't want to go into it all over again and lose time on that, yeah. so we'll link the episode again. Uh, nothing means nothing. The absence of anything. Yeah. So if there is no thing there, then there is no thing there to have any properties in the first place. Because yeah. Yeah. what is there to have any property? Yeah. A good example would be dividing five by zero. Yeah. Like the answer it's is undefined. False. It's yeah. undefined, right? Because you're taking five apples and you're dividing between zero apple, people, and the question is how many apples will each person get? What do you mean by each person? There is no person there uh. for anyone to get any apple. It is the same thing with nothing as well. Like there is no thing there for a property to be held by something. Properties held by things. Yeah,
0: it's essentially if we're making it much easier for us to understand. It's essentially like saying light and darkness, right? Darkness, uh in a sense, because the thing is darkness can just be held as the absence of complete light, right? Just to uh, make it simpler.
1: Yeah, so but we could talk about uh we could detect darkness and you would I get you I yeah, get your point as an absence sense, of anything. Okay,
0: if you're using a photovoltaic sensor, right? It uh, detects darkness how? By seeing how much light there is. Right? If the amount of light is zero, then there is darkness. Yeah, the thing is, okay, now I think we are yeah, actually be complicating.
1: Yeah, so I think because, the, because then we'll have to see whether our analogy actually holds up really well mm. before we bring up that analogy. True. Um, but so, nothing means the absence of anything. So there isn't anything there. Like I said, think about, ask your question. Like, if I divide five apple... Between zero people, mm. how many apples will one each person get? Yeah, there is no people to There is no reason for anyone to receive. By, right? yeah. So you need to have something, you need at least have the denominator one. Yeah. So
0: one person will receive all
1: five. All five apples. apples. Right. So in the same way when we ask can something come from nothing, there is nothing there for it to come out of. Well, yeah. There is nothing there for it to cause anything. Yeah. And what that means is that there is nothing there for it to hold any properties. Mm. So you can't say that nothing has a property of creating only universes. Mm. Or like when you said, nothing has a property of nothing. Even that, what has a property, and what has a property of nothing? So you would say nothing, what is nothing? When well, there is nothing. So what has property in the first place? Yeah. You, you it see just that starts how, it just it gets absurd or? and absurd and absurd. So what happens is that sometimes people, philosophers post up and say, maybe universe is the only thing that could come out of existence from nothing, right? So you're telling me that nothing has a property to create only universe. Nothing has a property to create un- only universe, meaning there is nothing there that has a property to create the universe. Yeah. Again, the same question. Like, What is there to have that property to create only universe? Mm. And like I said, this is a mistake that even Alex O'Connor, a brilliant YouTube atheist, uh, the biggest atheist channel itself, Cosmic Captive, Alex O'Connor made when he was uh, engaging with Dr. Craig on the Kalam mm. Cosmological right. Lager, Um, Which actually throws perspective into how people mix this up. And so... Because there is no thing to hold any specific property to create certain things, which means that all of reality, in all of reality, we should expect things to pop out of nowhere. Mm. Because creation isn't restrained by anything. There is no thing that is having any property there yeah. to restrain creation to happen in one specific manner. Yeah. Um, so that would be second objection. If something can come from nothing, then why doesn't anything come from nothing? Mm. Right? Why doesn't? Why is it only the universe can pop into existence, yeah. but not Beethoven right now playing a piano in our living? Right. World? Exactly. And so that would be the second objection. Now the third, the second and difference. And it for reminds
0: me of this, um, this joke: nothing can separate us from God's love.
1: Oh, so nothing can separate us. Like, from like you say now, uh, nothing uh, stopped Hitler's advance to Poland. Oh, thank oh. God, nothing <laughs> stopped Hitler's advance to
0: Poland. <laughs> nothing stopped it. No good.
1: <laughs> uh, so this would be the second argument for mm. premise one, and the third argument is what. J.L. Mackie said that this is plausibly confirmed in our experience and in our interpretation of experience. That we see this cause and effect happening every time we look around and we make sense of reality. This is our fundamental assumption to make sense of the world. This is what we use when we're talking about microbiology um, or when we're looking at the macro sense of the universe of the cosmos. It is this basic assumption that you always fall back on. So those are the three arguments for premise one, and I'll just restate it again. Uh, premise one, everything that begins to exist has a cause, and the argument one is that we know that something cannot come from nothing with the metaphysical intuition. An intuition like we know things are contradictory, cannot be part of reality in the same way without any physical experimentation. The second argument is that if something can come from nothing, then why doesn't anything, anything and everything come from nothing? From. Right? Because there is no thing that has a property to withhold creation. Mm. There is no thing there. Yeah. Five divided by zero, same situation. Yeah. And the third point is that we see premise one constantly confirmed in our daily experience. And like J.L. Mackie said, it is something that we use to not just comprehend experience, but also to interpret, to make mm-hmm. sense of our experience. And yeah, so in the in the upcoming episode, we'll look into uh, Mackie's objection, and uh, it gets quite philosophical. Um, but we will try and break it down as we've been doing so far in the next episode. So, yeah, and uh, we will see you in the next one. Thank you for joining us.
0: And... Remember to, if you want to learn more about us, you can uh, visit our website at saftapologetics.com yeah. and also if you want to follow us or keep up to date about our uh, stuff, you can follow us on Instagram, on Facebook and even Twitter, uh, all with the handles saftapologetics, except for like Twitter, you'll have to do capital asset and capital Yeah, A. I think they'll
1: get with small caps as well.
0: Yeah, I think, yeah, if you search it, yeah, you'll definitely get it for all of it. So, yeah.
1: See the next one. Take care. Take care.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode. If you enjoy SAFT podcast, do consider rating us on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser. You can connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter and YouTube and know more about us at www.saftapologetics.com.